Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, Not Your Average Joe. This week, our big idea is choose to live above average by forgiving. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 42, 43, and 45. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to week number five of Not Your Average Joe. Really good to see you, and we've got just a host of people in the room who, between our two gatherings, just got baptized. So will you help me congratulate them? So we're in this series called Not Your Average Joe, and what we've been doing is looking at the life of an individual in the Bible by the name of Joseph. And what we have discovered about him is that he is definitely not your average kind of Joe. Here's what he did. He set his inner compass on being obedient to God. And he pointed his feet in God's direction. And those choices allowed him to ride above all of the crazy in his life. The ups and the downs, the mountaintops, as well as the dips. And so where we left Joseph last week in Genesis chapter 40 is he was in prison. He was in one of those valleys, one of those dips. Life really wasn't going his way. But yet even there, his inner compass was set, feet pointed in God's direction, and he made some wonderful choices. But we left him in the prison. And he's simply waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something. What happens in Genesis chapter 41 is that Pharaoh, the king, the leader of the Egyptian empire, the most powerful man in all of the world at that time, Pharaoh has a dream. And the dream kind of tips him over. It troubles him because he doesn't understand it. And so he gets all of the smart people in his kingdom together and he shares the dream. Like, here's what happened and what do you think it means? So all the really smart people got together and they came back to Pharaoh and said, we have no idea what the dream means. We're not able to help you. Well, there was one official on Pharaoh's staff that raised his hand and said, wait a minute, I I think I've got a guy because I was in prison with this person named Joe and when I was there, I had a dream as well and he was able to tell me the meaning of my dream. And maybe he'd be able to help you. So Pharaoh, in chapter 41 of Genesis, says, bring Joe on in. And so they get Joe all cleaned up from prison, and they push him in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of the world. And there is somebody coming out of prison, standing in front of him. And Pharaoh tells him his dream, And scripture tells us that God gave Joseph the ability to know the meaning of the dream. And so Joe looked at Pharaoh and said, well, here's what your dream means. And here's what's going to happen. And here's how I might be able to help with that. Well, what happens next is pretty phenomenal because scripture tells us Pharaoh was very excited about what Joe shared. And right on the spot, Pharaoh made Joe the second most powerful person In all of the kingdom, nobody had more authority than Joe other than Pharaoh himself. And so in a quick move, Joe goes from prison to the palace. 
He's definitely not your average Joe, right? Well, you would think at this point, everything is going to go his way. I mean, he's gone from the prison to the palace. He can live out his days in luxury. He has a wonderful job. Everything is at his fingertips. But your past has a way of catching up with you, doesn't it? And so, in Genesis chapter 42 through 45, we discover that happening. And in that moment, Joe has a choice. Is he going to allow the past to eat his future, or is he going to choose a different kind of way to respond to that? Is he going to become angry and bitter and take revenge, or will he forgive? What's Joe going to do? Well, join me, and let's jump into the life of not your average Joe. Check this out. Beauty and sheer strength of a ruling world power, its influence and capabilities, its recognition and its power. It's certainly something hard to even describe, but that was ancient Egypt, where we find Joe. With the world watching, the pressure was on for Egypt to meet expectations. Everybody wanted to know, what's Egypt going to do? How will Egypt respond? What's the market like in Egypt? What are people wearing in Egypt? The scene in which we find Joseph is one most of us can only imagine, but let's try. Let's imagine for a few moments. Place yourself in Joe's shoes. As you awaken and begin your day, you smell royalty kings, servants, money, fame. This is ancient Egypt, and they have perfected good living. As you wander the palace, you pinch yourself and realize this isn't just a place to visit. I'm not just a tourist with a ticket who has to stay behind the roped-off sections. I live here. This is my home. I can go where I want because I belong here. I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph, the one my brothers hated one my brother sold into slavery. Oh, if they could only see me now. You're pretty good at dismissing that thought, though, because it just makes you too sad. It makes you miss your father, who you haven't seen in years. As you make your way through the palace halls, you see other people, intelligent people, sophisticated people. It's Egypt. There's not a better place in the world to live. You soon find yourself rubbing shoulders and having conversations with architects who are designing structures, unique structures, like huge pyramids. You scratch your head and think, that's a crazy design. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but if it does, I sure hope it lasts long enough for people thousands of years from now to see And there are other brilliant people as well. Mathematicians and doctors and scientists and strategists and artists and literary geniuses who are world-renowned. And you, Joe, you're more powerful than all of them. And it makes you kind of shake your head. You continue to make your way through the palace. The palace, your home. And you look around and 
There are just beautiful people, beautiful people everywhere. And they walk like Egyptians because they are and they can. As you continue to walk the vast square footage of the palace, you finally see him. It's Pharaoh, the king. And you remind yourself that this is the most powerful person in the whole world. You look at him and realize most people think he's a god. You see him as someone who needed your help when he had some bad dreams. And God enabled you and equipped you to interpret his dreams and provide some practical solutions for how to survive an upcoming famine. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was just you being you, Joe being Joe. But Pharaoh loved it and made you second in command. It all still seems like a dream. And then there's you, Joe, a Hebrew man in a foreign country of which the customs and language are both different, both of which you had to learn quickly. When people look at you, they say, that's Joseph. Only Pharaoh is greater. You shake your head because you still feel like Joe. Actually, you have a new name. Your new name, given to you by Pharaoh, was Zaphonath Paneah. But you still kind of like Joe. It's just easier to say. Pharaoh also gave you rings and clothes and gold and his daughter to marry. Interpreting dreams is lucrative. Who knew? Ultimately, though, you're still Joe. You're the same guy who loves God and now has a better life. But that better life is about to be absolutely turned upside down. Part of your job, your responsibility, is saving the world. As a leader, you helped Egypt prepare for a famine that would affect not just Egypt, but many countries. Under your wise and strategic leadership, you helped Egypt prepare by planting and harvesting extra food for a few years that would carry everyone through the famine. You made it happen. You're the hero. It's why you're second in command. No one else could figure out how to do that, but you did. As you lead through these coming difficult years, you realize that people are coming from around the world to Egypt for help. They're running out of food. It brings a sense of pride and satisfaction that God allowed you to be the one to help others. What you didn't realize, though, is that your own family, that you haven't seen in forever, has also been affected by the world famine. In a strange twist of fate, the very brothers who sold you into slavery now show up at your place, your palace, and they need food. Your heart beats fast, and you're thankful for that great Egyptian makeup that keeps your brothers from recognizing you. They have no idea. The stage has been set. That's where we pick up the story. Here's our big idea for today, and that is choose to live above average by forgiving. It's a very difficult task to actually pull off, but it can be done. So choose to live above average by forgiving. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 42. 
You can also scan with your device the QR codes in the program, and that will bring up all of our scripture and all of our notes for today. So while you're turning there, I think it's important to remember that when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers in the early part of our story here, he was 17 years old. Scholars tell us that by the time we get to this great scene where he is confronted with the reality of his brothers and what is he going to do with that particular moment, Joe is 39 years old. So 22 years have passed since he has seen the brothers who sold him down the road into slavery. That's a lot of water under the bridge. So let's pick up with this. Genesis chapter 42. I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked as if he didn't know. Well, we're from the land of Canaan, they replied. We're here to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Keep in mind, he looks and walks and talks like an Egyptian. And then Joseph, he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord. They answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. I'm sure that made Joe laugh a little bit because he knew what they were really like. But they said, hey, we are honest men and we are not spies. So what I want to do now is I want to give a flyover, a quick overview of Genesis chapter 42 through chapters 44 and 45. And there are a lot of events that happen here, and we're not going to be able to cover all of them. That's why I would encourage you to go home and read through that, because it is an amazing story. It's a great narrative. But I've tried to narrow down the key events of what happens once Joseph is confronted with his brothers standing right in front of him. So what happens after he begins to have this conversation with them? Well, first of all, Joseph discovers that he has a younger brother. And he actually remembered that he had a younger brother named Benjamin, but that little brother would have been just a small little guy when Joseph was 17 and sold into slavery. But he remembers there is another brother. And that brother is not here amongst my other brothers. And so Joe begins to talk about his family, their family, And he asks some questions, and he's doing all of this through an interpreter because he didn't want them to know that I actually know your language. So he's disguising himself and asking about their family, his family. And he discovers that his father is still alive and that Benjamin is still alive. And I'm sure that was very encouraging news to Joe. And so Joe, through the interpreters, begins to say, if you have another brother... I want you to bring him here. I want to meet him. I want to know that you're telling me the truth. Keep in mind that the reason they are standing in front of Joe is because there is an amazing famine and there is no food. There's no food anywhere. 
But Joe, with his wise leadership and his ability to do great things as a ruler and as a manager, helped Egypt survive all of this. And Egypt had more than enough food. And so people were coming from all over the world to Egypt to buy their food. And that's what brought his brothers. And so they begin to realize, if we're going to get any more food, we're going to have to bring Benjamin. So the brothers huddle together thinking that Joe is certainly not Joe and can't understand them. And they begin to have a little conversation. This is a really bad thing. Because our father loves Benjamin, and he has assumed the role of the favorite son once Joe was out of the picture. And there is no way that dad is going to allow Benjamin to come here. It will break his heart. And this is probably all happening to us because of what we did to our brother Joseph years ago. Of course, Joe can understand all of this. And he can hear it, but he makes the demand to them, if you want any more food, you go and get your brother Benjamin and bring him here. And so what we discover next is that the brothers return home and they talk to dad. They begin to have a tough conversation and say, dad, there is this guy in Egypt and he is the ruler, he is over everything, and he has demanded that we bring Benjamin. And Jacob, the dad, is like, no way. This cannot happen. I've already lost one of my sons, and I love Benjamin, and I will not let him go. This cannot happen. And then they persuade him by saying, Dad, we're not going to survive the famine. We will not live if you don't allow Benjamin to return with us so that we can buy more food. So finally, Dad says, all right, you can take Benjamin. And then what we discover is that the brothers return to Egypt with Benjamin, and here's what happens In Genesis chapter 43, when Benjamin walks in before big brother Joe, verse 29 says, As he, Joe, looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. Keep in mind, their dad had four wives. So that was part of week one and the whole dysfunctional family thing. And Benjamin is his true brother. The rest of the brothers are half-brothers. So Joe's really excited about seeing Benjamin because they're from the same mom. And so he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And Joe said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. And he had a great feast prepared for his brothers. But what happens next is kind of unique. Joseph doesn't actually eat with them. He sits in a different place because he's still trying to hide who he is. And he's observing and watching his brothers. One of the unique things that scripture tells us happens with that feast is that the brothers are seated in order of their birth order. And scripture even tells us the brothers look around and say, this is really bizarre. Like we're seated in order of birth. How does anybody here know that? And so for those of you who are great mathematicians, you can take the amount of brothers that Joe had and begin to multiply out all of the different scenarios and the different seating arrangements. It's into the thousands. But yet Joe knew because they're his brothers. 
So that's kind of a bizarre thing. The other thing that was happening during the feast is that Joe kept giving an extra amount of food to his brother Benjamin. Like the other brothers got good food, but Benjamin got a double portion. And that was probably his way of saying, look, I know what you've been living with for the past several years. Those guys are trouble. And here, have some great Egyptian food. But we don't know exactly why he did that, but he did it and they had a wonderful meal together and Joe is watching and observing his brothers. And then we discover this. The brothers buy more food and then they leave for home, but they quickly return to Egypt. And here's why. After their bags of food were put together, Joe decided, I'm going to have a little fun with my brothers, and I'm going to see where their hearts really are in this whole matter. And so he took the money that they paid for their food, and he put it back into the bags. He asked his staff to do this, so that it will appear that they stole the food. And then in Benjamin's bag, the prized brother, Joe took his silver cup, the silver cup for the number two man in the world, And he hid it in Benjamin's bag. And then they tied up all the bags and the staff sent the brothers on their way and they think they're going back to Canaan to give food to their father and to survive for a little bit longer. Well, Joe sends out his guards. Go capture them. Open up their bags and reveal to them what's on the inside. And so the guards come and in a very dramatic scene, they begin to pull out all of the money inside and the brothers are getting very nervous as bag after bag is opened and the money that was supposed to be paid for it was on the inside. And then they got to Benjamin's bag and they pull out the silver cup for a world ruler as if Benjamin had stolen it. Well, at this point, they're completely freaked out. Like, we're in a lot of trouble here. We are not going to survive this, and this cannot happen to Benjamin. Our father will not be able to live. This is a really bad day. And so what happens next is that they stand before Joe, and Judah speaks for his brothers, and he basically begs for their lives. Like, we don't know how this happened. This is a mistake. The money was given. I don't know how it ended up back in our bags. And we have no idea how Benjamin got a hold of this cup. But you have to let Benjamin go because our father will not be able to live if something else happens to another son. And so Judah said, take me. Here's my life. I'll be your slave. I'll be your servant forever. But please let the boy go and let him return to his dad. So Joe is taking all of this in, right? This is just drama upon drama, upon drama. And this is why you need to read your Bible because these stories are true and this stuff actually happened. And so what we discover next is in chapter 45, Joe can't handle it anymore. And so here's what happens. Verse one, it says, Then Joe could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joe when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joe said to his brothers, I am Joseph. 
Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And Joe said to his brothers, Hey, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And this gives us a wonderful picture of where Joe's heart was in all of this. Inner compass set. Feet pointed in God's direction. Joe, of anybody, has every opportunity to be angry and bitter and filled with hate and to take revenge. And he looks at these individuals, the brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery. Like, this is unthinkable. And said, God did this. God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Not your average Joe, right? He sure is. And the Bible tells us next that they have this wonderful reunion. And I'm sure they began to talk. Hey, you're married? Well, what's your wife's name? How many kids do you have? And you're married too? And all of a sudden, there's all these nieces and nephews that Joe has never met and wives and an extended family that he knows nothing about because it has been 22 years since they have had any kind of conversation. And then Joe said, look, I'm rich and I've got a lot of land and I am powerful. I'm going to send back wagons and carts and all kinds of stuff. And I want you to grab all of the family and be sure to grab my mom. Yeah, you can bring your moms too. We'll try to make this continue to work out somehow. But grab everybody because I want all of you to join me here in Egypt. God has sent me ahead of you to preserve you. So you come. You come. Get everybody together. Bring the whole family. If you jump down to verse 25, it says this. So they, the brothers, went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but Joe is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. And it says here that Jacob was stunned. And this word stunned is fascinating because in the original language, it means that his heart fainted or he grew weak. He was numb. I mean, he just couldn't handle this news. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. He was no longer numb. He was no longer out of it. His heart was no longer faint. And Israel, which is another name for Jacob, the dad, said, I'm convinced. My son Joe is still alive. And so here's what we're going to do, family. Here's the deal. Here's the plan. I'm going to go and see him before I die. Incredible scene. And I walk through all of that and I share all of that from Genesis 41 through chapter 45 to say this. 
Joe is a powerful and an influential world leader who has been wronged in every possible way. If anybody has the right to get even and to settle the score, it is this guy. And I don't think anybody would have stopped him or anybody would have said, you know what, you shouldn't do that. He was probably being coached, saying, man, take revenge. You're in authority now. You have every right and responsibility to even the score. But instead, Joe lives above average, and he forgives. He lifts the load off of his brother's backs. He opens the prison door, and he lets them walk free. And in doing that, he becomes free himself. I want you to hear this. If you want to live above average, forgive. It's really that simple. Not an easy thing to do, but if you want to live an above average kind of life and have impact that just goes on and on and on, forgive and do it again and again and again. I don't know what kind of forgiveness challenges and issues and circumstances that exist in your life. Maybe there's something at work or maybe there's something at home or perhaps something at school or somewhere else and there has been an offense. You have been wronged or perhaps you've done the part of wronging someone else and forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is needed. Otherwise, the relationships will never be repaired. They'll never go back to where they were. If you don't have a forgiveness issue in front of you right now, you will at some point because we're human and we make mistakes. And so do the people around us. And so if you don't have an existing challenge with forgiveness or an issue, it will come at some point. And so I want to share three takeaways lifted right from Genesis 41 through 45 that I believe will help all of us with whatever we encounter in the days to come when it comes to forgiveness. So we're talking about choose to live above average by forgiving. Not an easy thing to do, though. And often we want to hang on to stuff. And when we're ready, we'll do it. Well, let's just think about that as we share these takeaways. Number one, forgiveness is messy, but chase it. Forgiveness is a very messy thing, and it doesn't always follow a prescribed path. It doesn't always follow the script. And often because it doesn't, we use that as an excuse not to forgive. And that's a lame excuse. It's just lame. So don't make that excuse. Just know that forgiveness, it is a messy thing. But we need to chase it. Secondly, forgiveness is hard. But keep trying. And it's a really hard thing. 22 years. And you don't think you have the ability in 22 years to think of evil ways to destroy people if they were ever in front of you again? Again, Joe's a powerful and an influential man. He has every opportunity to absolutely destroy them. But even though it was hard, he tried. And it can be awkward and it doesn't always come out right. But... It's something we need to keep trying. And then thirdly, forgiveness frees everyone. That's what it does. Forgiveness frees everyone, so do it. 
right? Like when you open the prison door and you let someone out free, that's not just for them. You're freeing yourself. And everybody has the opportunity to move on and accomplish God's purposes in our lives. So forgiveness frees everyone. So do it. Do it. Let me ask you this. Are you moving toward people or away from them? Are you engaged in the process of hurting or forgiving? Choose to live above average by forgiving. And it's messy and it's hard, but when we engage and when we step into that lane, it frees everybody, including ourselves. So let's live above average by following the example of Joe and forgiving. Father, we're thankful for a few moments to look at this great story. And it's so compelling and so interesting to consider how you worked in the life of an individual who, again, really had every right to just come down on people who had hurt him in the worst possible ways. God, what Joe experienced in his life and how he was offended and how he was hurt is beyond what most of us will ever experience And yet he was still able to look at a group of people who were right in front of him, who had hurt him deeply, and recognize that God had something for all of them in the story. God, I think as we walk through this, we're reminded that you have an upper story of what you're doing in our lives that we cannot see. And even over the next couple of weeks, we're going to discover you brought Joe through all of this, and he survived, and you had something for him. You helped him save his family. But even beyond that, you helped him save a nation. God, sometimes in the lower story where we live, we just can't see that. And we don't know, and so we often give up and we stop doing the things that you want us to do. God, one of the things that you clearly want us to step through and to do it over and over and over again is to forgive other people. It's messy. It's a hard thing to do but yet it's something that we must engage in so that we can live above average. God, I want that for me. I want that for everybody in this room. So as we walk out of here, God, whatever it is that we have, whether it's a conversation with somebody or a meeting or a phone call with a family member or somebody at work or somebody at school, a relationship that has just been on the rocks for a long time, God, help us to do the necessary work of not hanging on to things but opening the cell door and allowing them to walk free, knowing that we become free in the process. And in doing that, we will be above average. God, give us the strength to act. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.